Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to talk about going to heaven. Does that seem like a good topic? Father, would you open the word of God to us? We cannot understand it with a natural mind. It takes the revelation of the Holy Spirit to show us the truth. We ask God for that revelation to our eyes, to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to be soft and receive and walk in faith in what we hear. I pray for grace to speak the word and to speak your word and not my word. We ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 1. I'll begin at verse 9. The Lord has been in the upper room. Uh, There is a large upper room in in, um, John Mark's parents' home. And this is where the Last Supper was held. It's where the 120 gather as they wait for Pentecost. Um, It's kind of a gathering place for them. And they have been in the upper room and they've had a meal. And the Lord has appeared, has let them touch his scars, has talked to them, and has eaten with them. Remember the fish? He's eaten the, the broiled fish with them. After that... He takes them out of the city. They go through the eastern gate there on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And they go up the road that winds up the side of the Mount of Olives and heads east. About two miles down that road is Bethany. But it goes right on past Bethany and will continue on down to to, uh, Jericho. And then actually run all the way north uh, up Perea to the Galilee region. So it's a major road. And he takes them up this road. It runs diagonally from north to south uh, up the Mount of Olives and then crests over. Somewhere around the crest, and I'll tell you in a minute why I think that's true. Somewhere around the crest, he gathers this crowd. And I think it is a crowd. Uh, it's, I, I'm guessing it's the 11 plus. And I think it's probably at least 120. This may be where the 500 gathered. We know somewhere along the line, in his resurrection appearances, there were 500 at one time. Could this be it? I don't know. But it might be. And so they're walking up the, up the road, and when he gets them to the top, it says he gathers them together, and then he talks to them. He says, uh, they ask him, is, is, it, is this the moment? Are you going to uh, bring the kingdom? In other words, the power of the Holy Spirit over all of Israel. The desert will bloom like the rose. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Is all of that going to happen now? And he says, no, it's not. And it's not for you to know when. But he says, here's what is going to happen. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you are going to be sent out as my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in other words, the city, the region, Samaria, our near neighbors, and to the last place on earth. is literally what he says, the eschatostase case, the last, in a series, the last place on earth, you're going to go all over this planet. Having said that, then he says this, verse 9, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. There is a place called heaven. I'm going to say that again. There is a place called heaven. It's a real place, not some fairyland tucked away in another, quote, dimension. Way too much philosophical speculation has gone on here. Until some descriptions of heaven begin to sound more like the land of Oz than the beautiful place the Bible describes. Yes, of course, it's a spiritual place. But we need to keep in mind that the spiritual realm is real, not imaginary. Everything 
physical. Every physical thing in our universe was created by the spiritual realm, not vice versa. Did you follow that? Out of the spiritual has come all of the material, not vice versa. The spiritual is not because you don't see it with your eyes right now. It doesn't mean it's imaginary or it's weak or it's a little kind of vaporish. The spiritual realm is actually more real than this realm. By the way, that is why when Jesus was resurrected, he could walk into a room with the doors locked. It is not because he was ghosty, he, you know, like a, like a vapor, a smoke just kind of passed through the walls. <laughs> the walls were vapory. The reality of the new resurrected Lord just walked through the vapor of this, <laughs> this level of thing, just like it was hardly there. If you will, the spiritual realm is more real than the physical, not less, and it lasts forever. And the heaven is a real place. And Jesus is there now in a glorious, imperishable body, which is so solid, you can still touch his scars, and so human, you can eat a meal with him. Being sure of this makes all the difference in the world. We can endure almost anything if we're certain what's waiting for us on the other side. It puts both the pleasures and sufferings of this life into perspective. It makes the purpose of life clear as crystal. It's all about going there and taking others with us. Luke carefully describes the ascension because he wants his readers to understand that Jesus didn't evaporate into thin air. He didn't disappear suddenly like a ghost. God lifted him up and took him to another place. He slowly rose into the air in his resurrected body with everyone intently watching straining their eyes, Luke says, until he entered a cloud and passed out of sight. God lifted him up off the earth and took him into heaven. Do you follow that? This gathering, the verse six gathering, the upper room gathering, probably took place in the upper room of the home owned by John Mark's parents. You want to know how I know that? There's the verse for it. You can check it later. When Jesus had celebrated the last supper, pardon me, where he had, After eating with them and teaching from the scriptures, he led them out of the city along the road that runs eastward over the Mount of Olives toward Bethany, a village two miles east of Jerusalem. Somewhere along that road, probably at its crest, which is about a thousand yards directly east of Jerusalem, that is a Sabbath day's journey. Verse 12, Luke tells us it's a Sabbath day's journey away. He stopped and had everyone gather around him. Do you know what a Sabbath day's journey is? I did not. I knew that you weren't supposed to travel on the Sabbath, and somebody said no more than a quarter of a mile, and, and I figured, you, just, you know, you can only, you pedometer or something, you know, I've walked too many steps. That isn't it. We've really missed the picture on this thing. They take it from the passage in Exodus where, where Moses says, uh, when they had the manna falling and people were going out on the Sabbath to gather the manna, he said, I don't want you working on the Sabbath, and I said, and no one is, no man is to leave his place. In other words, don't go out wandering, basically looking for manna. So you're supposed to stay in your place. Well, the rabbis say, what's our place? How big is our place? I mean, where are the boundaries? And what they chose was the city of refuge. Now, the city of refuge were cities where the Levites would live. And around the perimeter of a city of refuge is given a thousand yard perimeter. Uh, and it's, it's the fields, it's the, it's the herds, it's all, it's all of that for the Levites. It's their land. And so you have the city in the core, and then you have this thousand-yard rim around it, as it were. That boundary, they decided, was the Sabbath day's journey. You were to stay within your city of refuge. You were to stay within those boundaries. So when Luke says, and it's very interesting reference, he's telling Theophilus, first of all, he has to tell him, where the Mount of Olives is. He says it's near Jerusalem. So we know something about Theophilus right there. He does not know Jerusalem. He doesn't know his, and Luke's just told him it's near Jerusalem. And then he says about a, th- a Sabbath day's journey away. Well, if you, if you take the edge of the wall of Jerusalem and you go a thousand yards to the east, indeed, it comes right to the crest, right to the crest of the Mount of Olives. 
So somewhere along this trail, as I told you, and when I say road, don't think road. Think, um, I don't know, you know, four feet wide trail, well-worn. Going up the side of the Mount of Olives from north to south, diagonally on up, cresting over the top, and then on to Bethany, which is another hill away. Jesus stops, I think, there around the top, gathers this group, gives them the instructions we've just heard, and then he raises his hands, Luke says, and he begins to bless them. What did he use? I don't know. Could it have been, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Somewhere in the process, while this is going on, I would suppose they bowed their heads, I don't know. Somebody looks up and he's, he's lifting. He's starting to rise slowly as he's blessing them. He's, he's, he's literally being lifted up. Now, now hear that. He's not flying. He's not floating. This isn't his initiative. He is being lifted up. You see that? He's being lifted up, and he just continues to rise until he passes into a cloud. Now, is it a cloud of glory I don't know. It's, or just a cloud? I, I had a drill yesterday. I tried this. I mean, I was out in the yard, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. What is it like to have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, I'm being blessed, and suddenly I look up, and oops, there he goes. Up, 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 up. How far is it to a cloud? Now, I'm going to tell you, maybe it's my Seattle eyes, but it's hard to stare up at those things. It's, it's glaring. And so you're, you're sitting and looking, and it's a pretty good ride all the way up. It would have taken a little while. Luke is trying to tell us something. Jesus did not disappear, evaporate. This isn't like, you know, Star Wars and he's gone. Or he steps into the cornfields. It's not that. It's not that. God takes him somewhere. God picks him up and lifts him off the earth and takes him somewhere. By the way, will you ever experience something like that? What's it called? It's the rapture. He is being raptured. Yeah, he's going somewhere. That's the point here. After giving these instructions, Jesus lifted his hands and began to bless his disciples. But while he was speaking, he started to slowly rise off the ground. He was lifted upward, as it were, by an unseen hand, higher and higher, until he was enveloped by a cloud. Luke literally says, and a cloud received him from their sight. We're not told whether it was a naturally formed cloud or a cloud of glory, like the one that hovered over Mount Sinai or enveloped Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Mark tells us, where he went after entering the cloud. He says he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So where did he go? Come on. He went to heaven. Yes. There is a place called heaven. Luke describes the ascension because he wants his readers to understand that Jesus didn't evaporate into thin air. He didn't disappear suddenly like a ghost. God lifted him up and took him to another place. He slowly physically rose into the air with everyone intently watching, straining their eyes until he entered a cloud and passed out of sight. This was a well-witnessed, maybe there were hundreds who watched him go like this. Because their gaze was focused upward, no one saw two men approach. It's obvious from their appearance, the way they speak to the disciples, that they are angels. Luke doesn't say their clothing shone as it was true of the angels who stood near the empty tomb, but he does say they wore white garments. You remember the two angels at the empty tomb? Yeah. All right, here they are again, or two like that. Saturday. They said, men, Galileans, this is literal, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you beheld him going into heaven. Their question is specifically addressed to the men from Galilee. Do you notice that? Singling out the 11 apostles who had been accompanying Jesus and listening to him teach for the past three and a half years. Their question seems to be more of a challenge than an inquiry. They seem frustrated or maybe shocked that those who had spent so much time with him 
were acting like they hadn't heard anything he'd said. Surely, they weren't standing there waiting for him to come back down, were they? By staring up into an empty sky, it looked like they were waiting for him to reappear. So, in case they hadn't understood, the angels remind them of what he'd said. Numerous times, he'd laid out a full scenario of the events that will take place before he returns. In fact, one of these very detailed explanations had taken place on that same Mount of Olives. Had they forgotten? Indeed, he will come back down in a cloud with power and great glory, but not now. Now, the great harvest of souls was to begin. Do you follow that? This is, this is, there's a repeated theme here. And, and I'm, when I, if I, the way I pick it up there, saying, I think they're shocked at these guys. I think they're asking the question, what are you doing? And they're standing there and everybody's still... How, it must have gone on a little while for the question to have been asked like this. It's like they're waiting for him to drop, you know, or come out of there somehow. He went up, he's got to come down. And these angels come around them and, and they're saying, you're not waiting for him to come down. Tell me that, okay? <laughs> right? You're not. You don't think he's coming, do you? He's told you he's coming back and he's told you it's not for a long time and he's told you all this has to happen. You did hear him, right? The angels are amazed at us. They're thinking, why don't you listen to him? Think what happened when they came to the empty tomb. Mary and, the, Mary and the women are all looking in, and everybody's looking in, and the angel's going, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You, you don't think he's dead, right? When Jesus shows up, it says, oh, he says, oh, foolish men, and you who are so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's the matter with you? What does it take for you to hear me? At what point will you actually act and believe what I've said? What are we waiting for here? And this went on several times. He kept saying, what is wrong with you? Listen to me. My wife does this. <laughs> she does. She says, come here. Look me in the eyes. Where am I going? To, to the store. You didn't hear a word I said, did you? Sorry. Anybody go through that experience? Yeah. This is, what's go this is the dynamic that's going on. He, not, probably, probably 500 yards away, he'd, he'd spent the time to say, all right, these are the signs of, 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 the, of the end. These are the next things that'll happen. This'll happen, and then this'll happen, and then you'll see this, the, the Son of Man coming on the clouds with the glory and the angels, hallelujah. And then they're, they're all going. Hey, you see his foot or anything? No. no. And the angels, come on, tell me you're not waiting for him to come back down. Why are we so slow? Why don't we believe what he says is, is the implication here. Where did he go? Mark says Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. David prophetically saw this moment a thousand years earlier when he wrote, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The point of this isn't to say Jesus is actually sitting down somewhere but that he is honored in heaven above all others and that the Father has commanded the entire creation to submit to his Son. Yet being in heaven doesn't prevent him from being with us on earth at the same time. This is important. He told his disciples that after he ascended, they and all who would believe in him would be baptized into the Holy Spirit. They would be immersed in the Spirit, but he would also come and dwell inside them and when he did he would bring with him the real presence of Jesus and the father this is why Jesus was able to assure them I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you and behold I am with you always even to the end 
of the age. He is physically in heaven right now, but because he is the divine son of God, he is also present with us at every moment. Did you follow that? If you go to heaven this moment, Jesus is there. I mean, a physical resurrected man is there in heaven. I am so looking forward to seeing him. When, when you step across, your Lord will be there. He's solid. He's real. You won't, enti- you won't be the same. We'll get to that in a minute. But there he will be. But he said, he said, in that day when the Holy Spirit comes, he said, I and my Father will come and make our abode in you. Remember that? I give you the reference there. You can look them up later. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. So when the Holy Spirit comes, we have, because we're talking God here. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Father is here and the Son is here. Jesus is with me. He's with you. He's, he's, he's as close as our next breath in us right this moment. He is, he is divine. This can, he can do this. So by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is present with us in this room. He's watching and, and here with us this very moment. He's within us, but he's also, he's, he himself is in heaven right now in a resurrected body. What's he doing there? We're told he's interceding for us before the Father. How many are grateful for that? What, what does that mean? Do you, do you recognize what it means? I, I didn't take time. I give you the references. He stands at the, at the right hand of the Father, and every time an accusation comes against you, you do something stupid, and the devil reminds the Father of what you've just done, the Son intercedes on your behalf. I don't know if he needs to say a word. I don't know how this works. But it, in whatever way it is, he simply says, she's mine, he's mine. And that's it. The scars, the whole thing. He has atoned. The Father has ordained this. So he has atoned. So no accusation against you can stick. That's fabulous. And he's constantly interceding on our behalf. He is leading his church. He's the head, we're the body. Amen? So he wants to guide and direct his church. I mean, the more and more you and I walk with God, we're going to learn to listen going to learn to listen to what he says and to walk in response to his promptings. He wants to be an active real head, not simply some figurehead. He wants to guide us. He's preparing a place for us where we will someday dwell with him after his resurrection. Now notice I said after his resurrection. Heaven is there now. I don't think he's decorating it. But do you realize heaven isn't our final destination? Oh. It says... After the judgment, after all comes down, there will be a new heaven and earth. And actually, Jerusalem, will, there'll be this new resurrected planet, which can now endure the Shekinah glory of God at full, full blast, will be dwelling in that light. There won't need to be a sun. And the earth and all, you and your new bodies, everything will be resurrected. Not just humans. The entire universe will be resurrected so that the glory of God can fill it without any limitation. He's preparing that place. There'll be a Jerusalem that somehow that comes down onto this earth. I don't know what it all looks like, but somehow he's preparing a place for us. Hallelujah. It's, co- it's called the new heaven and earth, and there'll be a city called the new Jerusalem. He's waiting for all his enemies both human and spiritual, to be brought into submission to him. That's in process right now. But won't be complete until the final judgment. He's continually baptizing all who believe in him into the Holy Spirit. And through us, he continues to minister to a needy world. And every believer soon discovers he is always with us, caring for us as well. Where will I go when I die? On the night he was arrested, Jesus prayed this, and I'd like you to read it out loud with me. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Is that phenomenal? Did you see what he just said? He says, Father, I'm coming home. I am coming back. To where I was before. I'm coming home. I have finished the work. 
Now, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Boy, if that, if that isn't clear, I don't know what is. He knew, and then I quote here, he had come forth from God and was going back to God. But he went on to pray for us as well. And now let's read this as well. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. He j- this is, by the way, that is from the, both of those passages are from his high priestly prayer. It's a prayer he prayed immediately before he went down from the upper room, across the Kidron Valley, up onto the side of the Mount of Olives, and waited for Judas Iscariot and the religious police to arrest him. Talk about a powerful moment. This is his final prayer over us, as it were. I mean, this is, well, there's others, but this is, this is, this is his high priestly prayer over us. And what did he just say? He said, Father, I pray that these who believe in me will be where I am. Where is he? So where are you going to be? How many think God answers his prayers? Yeah, I think so. So he said, I want them with me. Where I am, I want them to be too. And I want them to see my glory. Hallelujah. Will you go to heaven? Oh, yeah. You absolutely will. And you'll see his glory. That is the Lord's prayer. So when we die, we go to be with him. We go to heaven where he is. But there's a difference between him and us, at least right now. He's been resurrected and we haven't. Let me be clear about that. The resurrection has only happened to one man right now. There is one resurrected person. Period. No one else who's died or at all in the Lord is resurrected. They are not yet. The resurrection is an historical event. It has not occurred yet. It will happen in history. We are all waiting for that day. But it has not occurred. He's in his solid, immortal body, but we must remain in a spiritual body until the resurrection of believers. Our spiritual bodies will be recognizable. After all, Moses and Elijah appeared in such bodies on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were recognized by the disciples. Do you see what I'm, what I'm saying there? Though we, won't, we don't have, when we die, we don't yet have our, our resurrected bodies, we will have some sort of physical, I mean, pardon me, spiritual bodies. Moses and Elijah aren't resurrected. And yet when they appeared to the disciples... On the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they recognized them. That's Moses. That's Elijah. He's my favorite. <laughs> Remember Peter, he wants to build a hut for them. I mean, they look pretty real. He says, let's, let's, let's all camp here. So there is, you will have when you die. You aren't going to become a vapor, some kind of spiritual gas. You are going to be in a spiritual body, and you will be recognizable. It's really quite interesting. Uh, I mean, you, you take this for what, it, what you will, but when people are dying at times, they will see a cross. I uh, just talked to somebody recently. This just, just happened. He said, my, my, um, my youngest aunt uh, just was dying, and, and he said for the last, uh, actually the last couple of weeks before she passed, she was literally having conversations across to family members. And she said, he said it wasn't crazy rambling. It wasn't anything. It was, true. It was real conversations to the point that the doctor uh, was converted. He had not been a Christian. And he watched this. And it was so dynamic and so interactive that he, <laughs> he decided to make it get right with Jesus. And um, <laughs> it's pretty wise, huh? My, uh, my, my own, my, my son-in-law's, uh, grandmother was a very, very godly woman. And when she was uh, passing, just some days before, she would, was doing some of this, looking across. And, and at one point, uh, she looked across and she said, why, there's William. Now, you need to know, William was her little baby that died, I believe, about one year of age. Now, how did she recognize him? What a thing to do. She's looking across as she's about to die. And she sees her little baby 
who, was, who died in childbirth, or, or very early, and she says, there's William. She recognized him. There is something very recognizable in this, our, who we are and who you are. God created you. He made you a distinct person, and you will always be you. You're you, and he made you, and you're, you're not going into some kind of you know, strange thing where we all wear white. And, I mean, you're going into heaven. You're going into heaven. We will be awake and fully conscious. We will know who we are and where we are. And we will be with Jesus and those believers who died before us. How many have family members, loved ones you, can, you look forward to seeing someday? And I, I'll tell you, I have a number of them, but I look forward to meeting my grandmother. She died before I was born. And for all I can tell, she was the real adult in the, in the entire tribe. And I'm serious. She's a loving, wise, godly woman. She, everybody just, my grandmother was what kind of held everything on a sober track. And she loved the Lord, as I said. In fact, I just found recently a, a letter she'd written to my mom when she went to college. And she said, now, here are my favorite Bible verses and she said, I recommend you read one of them every day and reflect on them. And then she quotes, you know, she gives this list of Bible verses, Psalm 91, John 14 through 6. I mean, the woman knew her word, man. She's got all the, all the plums. And she left this for, for my mother. You know, she said, here's, uh, read this and reflect on this. I never got to meet her. Jesus will be there when I, when I die and step across. You'll just, body falls off. You wake up and you're like, there there the Lord will be. Um, he'll be solid. I'm, I'm, I know we can worship him. I hope we can hug him. And I plan to sneak a kiss on his cheek if he doesn't mind. But so will my family be there who know the Lord. And I miss him. And I'm looking forward to a number of people. I can just hardly wait to see them again. Can't you? This is heaven. This is what is promised. Reflecting on the possibility of a death sentence while in jail in Rome, Paul said, now turn with me to Philippians 1. This is a very, very precious passage. Philippians 1, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Paul is in Rome in a house arrest. Remember this? We've just talked about it. He's in that apartment um, He's paying for it. He's got, a, he's got a, a Roman guard, and Luke's there. Luke's writing Acts at the time. Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. I'm missing something. And he, he wrote all of those in that time. And here's what he wrote to the Philippians. Uh, let your eye go over to about verse 12. And... He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian. That's the emperor's guard. It's the, uh, it's the elite palace guard and everyone else. So the gospel somehow <laughs> is, is going out through the, through the, the Roman uh, imperial guard. Uh, who knows what's going on? It's got to be a great story to hear someday. But who knows who the emperor is right now? Nero. <laughs> yeah, that's not real encouraging. He's waiting for a hearing before Nero. Now, Nero has not gotten to his worst state yet. This is right about 58, somewhere that uh, A.D. 64 A.D., a great fire will sweep, sweep through uh, uh, Rome. And people suspect that Nero started it. And there's a lot of anger, a lot of anger, because it took a huge portion of the city. And they're furious. And in order to channel that anger onto someone else, Nero said, I didn't do it. He said, the Christians did it. Let's get them. And so he initiates and he leads the charge. And just the most vicious, I will not describe it, the most vicious sort of things uh, that you can imagine went on against the Christians. That, by the way, is when Paul did die. He didn't die in this first arrest. He is, he's released. Um, but he's contemplating he could. And boy, with this emperor, he sure could. 
And so he, he, he says, I'm, in, I'm in, under arrest. Now let your eye go over to, say, verse 18. He says, um, I, yes, and I will rejoice. I'm right at the end. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And through your, prayer, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I know you're praying, and I know the, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is, is, is with me. Christ is with me. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I'm praying, you're praying, that I will be courageous and strong, that under whatever I must face, I will not become cowardly, I will not shame the Lord, but I will speak the truth and face my death boldly if I must. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say that. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, if they let me live, I'm going to keep ministering Jesus. I'm just going to follow him. If they kill me, hey, I step across and see my Lord. And it's a very good place. He said, so whichever I must face. If, but verse 22, if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Notice his, the, he, he's, he's ambivalent here. <laughs> but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That is very much better. Ah, they cut my head off. Oh, well. Wink of an eye. There's my Lord. There's all the loved ones. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, he says... Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. He says, I'd like to go to heaven. But he says, you need me. And I'll bet you anything, God's going to have me stay here and serve longer. And he did. He would go on another, what is it, six years at least. All right, now, yet Paul was not content to remain forever in a spiritual body. I want you to see something. He, and he loves the idea of going to heaven. Heaven is a, is a great place for him. But he does not want to stay in that condition of just a spiritual body. He finds it uncomfortable. He does not like it. And it is not our final destiny. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Even though he knew if he died, he would instantly be at home with the Lord. Paul longed for the day when he would be clothed in his resurrection body. There's something more glorious than even heaven waiting for us in the future. Now, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5. He's talked about seeing the things that are eternal and the things that are temporal, the things that are passing away. This world, this body, all of the stuff around us is passing away, but the spiritual things are eternal. And then he says this, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, what, what is our earthly tent? Your body. As you get older, as disease, whatever happens, as you die, as you move toward death, as your, your earthly body is torn down, we have a building... From God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What is that he's talking about is the resurrection body. He says, we know when this body goes, we've got another one. God has created a, a, a resurrection body. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. And what Paul says is, he considers himself, while he's waiting for his, his, his resurrection body, to, in a sense, be naked, unclothed. He says, I know there's a spiritual body, and I'm going to be with Jesus. But I'm looking forward to the day when I get my new body. I like having a physical body. I like being a, a, a man in a physical body, resurrected. That's, that's where I'm headed. And I don't like this being unclothed season very much. For indeed, while we were in this tent, this present body, we groan. I do. How about you? Now it starts hurting. Being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. 
Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. The Holy Spirit is your promise of what's coming. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Say that. While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Did you follow that? It says, when I'm not in my body, when, I mean, when this body falls off, I am going instantly at home with the Lord. Where's my home? Heaven. Yeah, home is heaven. Home is with the Lord. Therefore, we also, as our ambition, whether at home, in heaven, or absent here, we want to be pleasing to him. I was uh, talking to a man um, just actually this week, and his wife had passed away. Um, he, he isn't, he, actually, he does come to the church on and off and listens regularly on the radio. Um, I didn't know his wife had passed away. She'd passed away about three weeks earlier. And I said, I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to hear that. And he, you know, he loved her, and, and he said, she was my world. And, and uh, he, he was, he's, he's a Christian. He's a good Christian. But, um, boy, he, he loved her, and he said, I've, I've been at this long enough now, I think, as I say that. I think it was about three weeks, maybe four, um, that she'd been gone. He said, I suddenly realize now she's not coming back. You know, he said that kind of that numbness is wearing off, and I'm, I'm just having to, to face life without her. And um, I asked him, I said, was she a Christian? And I said, oh, yes. And then she, he said, and she loved you, meaning she listens to life lessons, in which case I know she's in heaven, you know. <laughs> oh, and I, but she, she, she did. He, he, she did love the Lord. And, and then I, 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 I said this. Then she's conscious right now. I said, she's there with him. She knows who she is. She knows who you are. She's not some sleeping state. She's not, she's not drifting around wondering where she She knows where she is. She knows who you are. She knows the Lord. She's happy. She feels better than she's ever felt. She remembers you and she's waiting for you to come. And then I said this, but in God's plan, your days aren't done. You have more work to do. Now, I did say, I'm not just a turkey. I did say, look, there's a time to grieve. Grieving is so natural. You can't get away from it. It's as though you were injured in a war or, 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 you, or, or you had a terrible disease. Your body has to heal. Your emotions have to heal. There's no getting around grieving. And it lasts, in my opinion, two, three years, sometimes a little more. Uh, grief is a real process. And so I said, I'm not, I'm not pushing you. I said, but I know this about people, particularly when someone you love a lot passes. Sometimes you think, well, I'd like to come too. Why don't you just, just wait up, I'm coming. And, and you want to, you don't, you don't hate life, but you're, you're tired of it. And you miss the person. And you wish you could just go to heaven and be with them. Odd thing is, boy, sometimes people do. Uh, you'll have these married couples. One spouse will die. Six months later, somebody who looked perfectly healthy is gone. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. So you can almost will yourself out of here. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was addressing in him. And, and I said, in God's plan, your days aren't done. He numbers our days. He orders our path. And he's left you here. The, he wants you to live longer. There are assignments. There are things you must do here. You still have things to do for God. There's a time to heal from grief, and then you must live for Jesus with fresh zeal. You must help others get to heaven. When we understand the reality of heaven, it changes everything. And it changes the way I view the days I have left on this planet. Honestly, when you and I really get in touch with this, 
It takes care of depression. It takes care of purposelessness. It just ends it. Purposelessness, depression, those things are when I'm dealing with my, forgive me because I've lived this, self-centeredness, my own issues, my own happiness, when it's, when it's there. And when my, when my eyes begin to go, oh my goodness, there's a heaven. And I have these days given me by God to, through, the, through love, through kindness, through the word, through however he would use me, to influence the eternal destiny of others, to help others find heaven. Then whatever job I do, wherever I work, wherever I live, whatever it is, I have a mo- uh, in my heart, I, every day is an opportunity. Can I influence someone to know Jesus Christ? Can I bring his love, his healing, his kindness? Can I somehow let them sense Jesus Christ? Because it's all about that. And I, I was prodding him. And, I, and, the, and the verse that came is Deuteronomy 30. Uh, Moses there uh, says, I have set before you, speaking of the nation, I have set before you life and death, the, the blessing and the curse. And then he says, so choose life. Choose life. Say that. Choose life. There's something that happens inside of us where we can begin to, to lose our grip on life. We begin to just sort of say, well, I, you know, my heart will stop at some point. And you just go through the days. You must choose life. You must live it with all your might. These are the days given to us. They are precious. God has ordered your days. He did not ask your opinion. He said, you will live this long. God has put you in a place. God has put you in a generation. He didn't ask, what generation would you like to live in? He put you where he wanted you. And you have nothing to say about it, except how you live it. And so do I live it out with gratitude? Do I live it out with purpose? Do I get it? That whatever form of income I make and whatever those kinds of logistics, they are just that. That bottom line, it is how will my life influence others? Am I prepared and am I helping others find their way into eternal life? This comes to mind. Whenever I go to a memorial service, I've noticed that people will talk about the person that's passed and they'll bring up about three things, almost inevitably. Things that that person did that made them feel loved. My grandma always cooked me this favorite dinner or something. Some way that that person showed love to me, that I knew I was loved. That person's expression of faith, if there is such a thing. That there would be, that they, how they showed their, their faith was genuine. Their acts of service to others. And funny things they did that made us all laugh. Nobody I've ever heard said, by the way, he really stacked in the money. Whoa. And, and he reached such and such a position in his, in his corporation. I've never heard anyone ever mention it. Ever. And I've, I've been at memorials where people were way up and way down in the, the, the scale. And it always keeps coming back to, honestly, the things that matter. <laughs> the way you loved us, the way you love God, and the funny things about you. The things that you do make us laugh. Who you are, it always comes back to that. You and I must choose life. If you lost a loved one, if, if your heart's aching, you have time to grieve. The Lord is kind and patient. He's not driving you. But somewhere you must come out of that. You must come out of that. And you must say now, I'm glad I'm alive. And I am grateful for every day you have given me. And I will live it with all my might. And I will serve you. The day will come, my heart will stop. I'll step across and there you'll be, Jesus. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to give you a kiss when I see you. Amen. I can hardly wait to see grandma. I can hardly wait to see my husband, my wife, those who've gone ahead of me. Bless the Lord. I can hardly wait. But I won't waste these days. I won't waste these days that you've given me. You've ordained my days. Thank you for every one of them. Would you say that? Thank you for every one of them. Would you stand with me?
the angels asked the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? In other words, he gave you an assignment. What are you waiting for? The reality of heaven creates an urgency for action. He's physically gone now, but he left you here. There's work to be done. People to reach, a power with which to be clothed. Your Lord was very clear. He told you that while awaiting his return, you are to use the resources and opportunities you've been given to serve him. He said he wasn't coming back right away. He promised to work powerfully through you and God took him, but he left you here. Your days aren't done, so go. And the disciples listened this time. And Luke ends his gospel with these words. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. They got it this time. They got it this time. Their dearly beloved master was gone, but he would come to them in the spirit and he'd assigned them. They had work to do. Then they went, they worshiped. I suppose they got on their face in the dust and just glorified God. And then they went down that mountainside and into the, into Jerusalem, full of joy, full of joy. When we get this in our hearts, the joy of the Lord fills us. We're grateful for life. Just with Anyone right now need to say, I hear it. I hear the message. There is, a, there is heaven. It's waiting for me. There is, there is a real place. It's all there. There's nothing but glory awaiting. But I will not despise my life. I will be grateful for every day I've been given to live. And I'm going to give them to the service of Jesus. I'm going to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live with is Christ, to die is gain. Anyone need to just say, I'm making, I'm, right now, I'm choosing life. I'm choosing life and I'm grateful for it. Who needs to raise your hand and say, I hear that, I get it. Hold your hand up, keep it up. Father God, see these hands. We pray for our brothers and sisters right now. May any kind of sadness, depression, grief that has held you, any kind of, 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 of deception of the enemy, the lies that come, that try to say, why, why bother? What, what do you matter? Whatever kind of ugly thing he's said in the air, we bind that lie in the name of Jesus. And may the Lord show you that you have a calling, that there are people only you can reach, and that he has anointed you and graced you, and that he's numbered your days. They are in your Father's hand. He has ordered your steps. He has the plan. And he will indeed use you mightily. And so, Lord, right now, with, as, with our hand raised, we just say, I joyfully receive the life you've given me. I thank you for every day I'm alive. I will live it to the end for Jesus Christ. For me to live as Christ, say that. To die as gain. Once more. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. We pray that. We mean it. We declare it with Paul in Jesus' powerful name. Everybody said amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.